Joining me this week, Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. Myros, did you get around to uh, going to the cinema and seeing that Talk To Me movie? No, sir, I have not. Are you a fucking busy bee over here? Well, I don't know. It's got the art house horror stink. I, I needed someone uh-huh. to, I needed a recommendation from someone I trust, but no, no one else seems interested in seeing it, so I'll no, probably just wait for a digital release. Unbelievable. You're just too be you're running around town doing all your usual activities. You don't have time for it. Jack, uh, well, Jack Easton's also here. Jack, do you know what Myros does when he runs errands? And he, he's like, oh, I could, I could go catch a movie, but you know what he does instead? No, it, uh, enlighten me. I'm, I'm curious to find out. I'd love to learn more about Adam. Generally, he's a That's cipher. Good. He is. He is. And no one, it, there's no one better on this podcast to talk about Adam Myros and, and his life and his thought process than, uh, than me, of course, not, not anyone else. Well, that's and, probably fair. Who better, honestly? I mean, <laughs> me, but... Uh, <laughs> that was the joke, Myros. You see, you see, he can't even... I, I don't I know. I, I'm not this. one for... I, see, I'm, I'm discounting the other people, you know, because one doesn't want to talk about themselves all the time, Steve. That's just uh, impolite, yeah. frankly. So, so I've well, all... Here's what Adam... The co-hosts, you are certainly the, the foremost uh-huh. expert. Uh, the foremost Adam Myros expert. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Jack... You know, Myros will go out and he's he's doing his his little errand run or whatever. He's got to go to the grocery store. He's got to go to the drug store. He's got to you know do this, that, and the other thing. But uh, his number one thing that he's got to get to every week, it's his solo Hooters trip. He just the guy the guy loves the solo Hooters trip. So here's the setup. He uh, he gets there right at ten thirty a.m. because that's when the doors open and he wants to be the first one in. Uh, he's sitting alone. Does he sit at the bar? No, that's not the power move that he's looking to make. He wants a table, so he gets a table. And what's his order? It's always the same. It's uh, 12 boneless wings, no sauce, side of ketchup, please. Oh, God. I, I was I'm going to tolerate this heresy until you said this uh, whole business about the boneless wings and the ketchup. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then the waitress comes over and she says, Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Everyone else is so boring. That's great. <laughs> You can't, I, I'm sure I've talked about before the work trip that I took to Hooters where someone, for some unknown reason, they, one, a woman decided that for her going away, she got a new job, that we had to go to Hooters for her send-off. <laughs> and we went, That's what I'm going to do if I ever leave my current job. It's fucking like... incredible. And we went to Hooters <laughs> and my teammates were all, they, they were understaffed and so one poor waitress was working the whole fucking restaurant and my some guys on my team just like had a shit fit because their food was wrong or something and like was just going crazy and they forgot my food and I just wanted to leave because who cares? It's Hooters, right? I've one only time I've been there. It's like <laughs> it's a cheeseburger. It's fine. I don't care. And everyone else is like, that's the problem. Frothing. You didn't get the wings. I know. That really, the, it's their fault if their food is fucked up because you should order one thing at Hooters at one thing only, and that is just chicken yeah. wings. I, I'll be honest, I don't even remember what I ordered, and may, maybe I did. I don't remember because I just wanted to slink out of there. I was so goddamn just horrified at everyone's behavior, and at the end, our waitress cried. So it was oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> an astonishing fucking day. And I wouldn't like I was never going to set foot in Hooters anyway, but I never want to go back there again just because that was such a goddamn shit show. And that wow. wasn't even their fault other than understaffing for the day. Like anyone else could have just been nice to the waitress and it would have been fine because we what we couldn't go back to work earlier. Who gives a shit? Mm. But no, everyone yeah, had to I be have, like 
a warped so. perception of Hooters because in the city I grew up in, Hooters was like kind of nice. Like it was on the water and it was like a huge <laughs> outdoor deck. It was like yeah, a good no. place to go see the sports. You know, they have good good chicken wings. Legitimately. See, time in Louisville, I understand this. That's, yeah, that's premium real estate. It's kind of like, yeah, those places on the river that I think it's just a restaurant, but it's on the river. Yeah, and then as, so I went there a lot in high school. And then as an adult, you like, I think I've been there once and I was like, Oh, Jesus Christ. Not even, not to say what, I think we tried to go when we were uh, living in Kalamazoo and it was like the most depressing thing I've ever fucking experienced. I was like, I can't ever go back to this restaurant. What the fuck is this place? No, absolutely incredible. And the place that I went there, the only other customers that were in there were like literally every single, there were a couple of other tables and every single one of them, this was just in Indiana, by the way, Southern Indiana. And uh, every single other table had at least one dude in a camo baseball cap with a neck beard. Yeah, suffice to say, I'm guessing Bud Light sales have plummeted at Hooters this year. Oh, yes, quite (laughs) quite likely. A lot of principal stands happening there. Guys, I got some bad news, though. Uh, I was was trying to see where my, my local Hooters would be, and I don't, I don't have one. Oh, I don't think I do either. I would have to drive to either Madison, Wisconsin, which is like a solid like 90 minutes, or Schaumburg, uh, Illinois, which is... <laughs> Gee, that, oh God, for all I know, that could be the Schaumburg. nearest one to me, too. I have no idea. Yeah. Wow, wow. And I will say, like, Hooters Defense Squad, let me show up. Uh, you know, it's, it's the one place where it's just like, ah, oh, fucking Hooters. Why would you go to Hooters, you fucking pervert? Going to the pervert chain restaurants? Like, you can legitimately retort with, no, the wings are really good. They and, are. And you're right. <laughs> They're fucking good wings, yeah, man. Very good. Much better than your, your Buffalo yeah. Wild wing. Um, oh, God. Here's, here's something fun, too. So the, the, other, the other big famous restaurant, uh, the, uh, the, the Twin Peaks. Uh, <laughs> which, wow, uh, what a name. Yeah. And uh, obviously, again, Adam Iris' favorite Twin Peaks is, is the restaurant. And it, so I was talking to a friend of mine, and he works with a guy. And I guess this guy is just constantly posting photos on, on Facebook of him at like Twin Peaks with the waitresses. <laughs> like that's the only thing he posts. Just that's like the ultimate fucking posting move in 2023. Just throw caution to the wind and only post photos of you with Twin Peaks waitresses. And, and I guess he like buys them gifts. And then he tells people at work that he buys the waitresses at the boob restaurant gifts. And it's like, I, I don't think that's the brag that he thinks it is, you know? It's uh, a sad state of affairs. Yeah. You really should just be ordering those those boneless wings, no sauce, side of ketchup, right, Myro? Oh, yeah, that's what you got to go for, sure. I, I It appears that the, the closest one to me is in Taylor, Michigan, which I don't think I'll be making that trip anytime soon. Ooh, fucking Taylor, <laughs> downriver, baby. That's <laughs> disgusting. Shout out, Taylor. Uh... Yeah, oh, there's a bunch in Chicago. Holy shit. Also, there's like a, there's a spinoff called Hoot Swings. I don't even know what the fuck that is, but there's a bunch of those in the loop. Uh, there's what? one. <laughs> this, yeah. I've never heard of this in, I in the you, loop. I bet you it's a, it's a, like a wing stop, like a stripped down version where they're just yeah, yeah, schlepping yeah. to go wings, essentially. Which is probably the way to do it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's probably just like DoorDash, so it's I like mean, 100%, wings, yeah, if you could titties. just get the wings without all of the weird sexual awfulness yes. that accompanies it, this, this would be a major win <laughs> Wouldn't for that me. Be nice? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like so my wings gag- cruelty-free, so uh, yeah, this would be, <laughs> this would be ideal. 
No human cruelty. Less human cruelty. Man, sometimes you, you just gotta fucking make some money and get through community college, and that's how you do it. Fucking Hooters. Respect the hustle, Jack. Well, believe it or not, this episode, even though I'm, I'm back now after a brief hiatus, uh, this episode is, it's not just about titties and chicken wings. Uh, it's about a man who, uh, he probably enjoyed a boob or two in his day and uh, certainly never shied away from eating delicious fried chicken products. We're talking about Ray Harryhausen because it's still Sword and Sandals month. And if you're not sick of it yet, uh, we're really getting into some good shit. Uh, although I am a little bit upset. I, I haven't gotten around to actually listening to the episode, but it sounded like uh, Jake was the only one defending uh, Kazi's uh, <laughs> Hercules film, which is it's pretty upsetting for me, guys. I can't believe you shit on. on I, just I, we, we, I mean, we've been talking about Hooters for long. I think we can just relitigate Kazi's Hercules for a half hour. Isn't that what everyone yeah, wants? <laughs> sure, let's well, go. There's, there's no relitigating. I'm, I'm just, I'm right. That's, I just came here to say it's okay to be wrong sometimes, guys. Certainly, Fine. this week's slate has a noted absence of men hurling shit into space. It <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. doesn't happen mm-hmm. at once, I don't think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which my, my whole criteria for how I you know, consume and rate movies now is, do you throw something into space and does it create a constellation? If the answer is no, sorry, that's, you're getting a star removed from my final score. I mean, it's a so. fair point because everyone agrees that Ridley Scott's Alien is a great movie and at the end of that, they shoot an alien into space. Yep. Just that's happens to be a shorter exactly. distance for them, but still, technically, same, same process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my logic's sound here. Well, I, yeah, uh, at but, least these three films this week, I, you know, I have some... I could, like, summarize any of the three in a few sentences. Uh, try doing that with Cozy's Hercules. It's like, it's like, I don't fucking have any idea what that movie's about or what in the hell's happening at any given moment, really. Yeah. Well, uh, we're actually starting off with something that is, it's kind of foundational to what we think about when we think about Lord and Sandals movies, and it's pretty much what you automatically think of when you think of Ray Harryhausen. And I, I think Tom Hanks called it the greatest movie ever made, which, come on, fucking pump the brakes, Tom. <laughs> Jason and the Argonauts, <laughs> 1963. Uh, this is, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like I watched this maybe 10,000 times on TV as a child. Like, one of the local stations would basically just, like, loop it every Saturday afternoon. So I saw this a lot. This and Cyborg were the two movies that my local ABC affiliate would play like, every Saturday afternoon. Oh, I yeah, was I mean, what else, what else do you fucking need? Uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad was, was pretty heavily syndicated for a long time, too. Yeah. That's a good one. We're not talking about that one on this episode, but it's, no. it's a good movie. I, I fully endorse that one. It is. Yeah. It is. We're not talking about it because it's almost overly familiar, and if we're going to go with the heavy hitters, uh, I suppose I the most more... famous. You got you to cover Jason and the Argonauts. Oh, well, I thought we weren't covering that Sinbad movie because, Adam, you wanted to find out about glistening Carolyn Monroe. I thought that was why we chose... That seemed to be, yeah. yes. And, and you, you thought the Hooters thing was an aside, but we know that you're a leader. No, no, we're, well, we're... I'm not the one who described uh, this person as such. Uh, this was uh, the work of the esteemed pervert Jack Eason, and I, I was just like... Pervert? <laughs> it's an <laughs> objective description. Sorry, was I lying? I mean, we're going to get to this movie. Was I lying, Adam? It's a completely accurate description. And then you said, let's watch yeah. that one instead so yeah. i put it to you adam that you mm. made this choice i did yeah. i think it's the right choice frankly if, if there's another <laughs> choice to be made it would be to excuse sinbad altogether because it's it's 
really stretching the bounds of swords and sandals, but uh, nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> there were swords, sandals, yeah. probably. Yeah. I wasn't really paying attention yeah, more, what was glistening Carolyn boots, Monroe. You know. <laughs> this, is, this is just your Islamophobia coming through, Marcos. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. Also, Carolyn, Carolyn Monroe, I mean, she really is. She's, like, she's pretty much a glistening Hooters waitress in the Sinbad movie. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can't we can't talk about her. We have to talk about uh, the the fucking not as hot and not nearly as glistening woman in Jason the Argonauts, I guess. Uh, but yeah, this is this is like your prototypical sword and sandals movie, and I can understand why I enjoyed this so much as a kid because uh, I I was obsessed with stop motion stuff, and I think part of that came from watching a lot of Pee Wee's Playhouse as a kid, where they frequently would intercut like stop motion dinosaur clips which honestly were probably lifted from some Harryhausen or Harryhausen adjacent uh films and it, it really is wild just to see his effects now and uh, obviously there's there's a kitschiness to it all but uh watching Jason the Argonauts back like when when the giant bronze statue of Talos like comes alive it's still fucking amazing <laughs> you know like just watching it on screen and it, there, there really is something about the, the stop motion aesthetic where it, it just seems to age so much better than any CGI bullshit I've seen. Uh, even like the chunky early 90s CGI that I think is a little bit more endearing now. It, it, it doesn't hit the same way. Yeah, I think, I think like the, the key to Harry Harryhausen, I think, is that the entire, the entire movie is built around his special effects. It's worth noting, I mean, like, none of these movies are directed by Harryhausen movies, but they're Harryhausen movies. Great test mm -hmm. of the auteur theory. You know, Harryhausen isn't a director at all, but these are all his movies. He, he dictated everything about them because it all had to fit with his special effects processes. But, um, yeah, I, I think that really works in these movies and really holds up is that since they are built kind of from the ground up to encompass his optical effects, the movies really do incorporate them really well. I mean, uh, you know, when you're doing like optical overlays and stuff, you lose image quality, you get kind of like a softer look. So the movies just kind of lean into that and incorporate it. And there's this kind of fuzziness to the whole thing it, it just kind of it's it's a real like vibe effectively um and mm -hmm. certainly harryhausen is not in any way shape or form aiming for realism this never looks real you can obviously no. tell you know but it's it's it, the like the fact that he just has rejected even that attempt it's just like the animation needs to be good that's what he's concerned about the overlay should work pretty well you know um it, it's just yeah it's it's endearing it's wonderful it's it's what i i like i would just take this over so much other like seamless cg and and kind of other like even a lot of other like even practical effects that are very good but they just they don't have this magical element to them not all of them you know there's there's plenty of like good special effects but like who who cares you know there's there's a certain element of fantasy to this that's really kind of writ into the film and uh yeah it's mm. captivating and it's really fun and also harryhausen is just an astonishingly good puppeteer like his his work every creature in this this has like these little touches and details that just bring them out that are you know i always think of the fact that like phil tippett who worked under harryhausen um was trained by him phil tippett of course went on to make mad god among other things which are an insane stop motion project but i always think about like robocop and the ed 209 which tippet animated and when it gets killed and it keels over and just the one toe 
judders violently in a death throw. And it's like, it's absolutely like ever since the first time I saw Robocop, that one thing is just burned in my memory. It's this is amazing image. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Like it's a robot, but it's this death throw kind of like movement. And Tippett thought of that. I'm, you know, I guess you're someone in there thought of that and animated it and produced it. And that's what Harryhausen, I think, brings in. Everything has some kind of naturalist element to its its movement, no matter how unreal it is, that makes it exceptionally, you know, I, I guess it makes you want to believe it. You know, it, it pulls mm-hmm. you over the, the gap in the, the obvious technology, the fact that it's obviously it's fake. It looks fake, but, you know, it's it's something better than looking realistic. It's way cooler than that. Exactly. And and that's a that's a problem that, I think movies consistently run into now and you get this shit with video games too all the time where it's this pursuit of seamless reality basically where you can't differentiate between you know what's fake and and what's actually there and the reality of what you end up with is a lot of like weird uncanny valley shit uh that is (laughs) deeply uncomfortable um, it's it's why you like, say t- Tom Hanks loves Jason the Argonauts, and Tom Hanks also loves uh, fucking Polar Express stuff from Robert Zemeckis. So, <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah, kind of weird, kind of weird, but yeah, just shit, man. I wish somebody who was a Harryhausen disciple would have done the opening sequence of the new Indiana Jones movie instead of the horrific de aging CGI show that we get instead, because <laughs> uh, it is. It's it's like. I don't know, like on a gut level, at a level that like I, I can't even quantify uh, or describe accurately. It just feels upsetting <laughs> to watch on screen. <laughs> Whereas something like this, it's it's like it's magical because obviously, like you said, it's not like at any point I'm like, oh, no, it's a real Medusa and like a Harryhausen movie. Uh, but just watching how everything animates and just just seeing like, you know, the, the beauty of it and, and how he brings those characters to life is it's some special shit. And uh, yeah, and nobody else can really do it like him, quite literally, because, you know, people obviously worked under Harryhausen, but for the majority of his career, uh, you know, movies like Jason and the Argonauts, he was doing this stuff largely by himself. Um, he kind of, he, he learned stop motion uh, years prior to this, but Right around the time of Jason the Argonauts, he started to pioneer a new technique where instead of sort of like shooting through a series of panes of glass like with different dioramas, he was able to take film footage that had already been shot. So, you know, uh, the, the people running away from Talos on the beach or whatever. And then he would take that footage, rear project it, and then reshoot with him doing his stop motion basically over the rear projected film, which nobody had done that before him. Amazing. Uh, which is the other reason why Harryhausen stuff is remembered so fondly, because it looks so much better than anybody else that was doing shit like this at the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a big thing about Harryhausen. He wasn't just a puppeteer. He was a huge technological innovator in optical effects. And, you know, and to the point where... Um, this movie I don't think is, but like the the Sinbad movie is presented in DinoVision, which is Harryhausen's own patented uh, optical effect 
system or whatever um you know mm-hmm. but like he was yeah he was top of the glamour of the movies harry housen was like a basically a film factory but yeah he's mostly just a dude locked in a room with tiny little puppets mm-hmm. <laughs> and he'd work for and, like and- a year on his own <laughs> oh for sure for sure i mean I, I think the the skeleton fight which is arguably the most famous thing from jason the argonauts yeah. is the thing that you know people tend to remember the most because it is it's it's a fucking spectacle. Like the idea of, you know, someone sword fighting with literally nothing. And then Harryhausen seamlessly kind of bringing in these stop motion figures, these skeletons to, to fight against these guys. It's unbelievable. And for that scene, which is around four minutes long, it took him like four and a half months to animate all of that. Yep. And uh, there's there's another I I can't remember did Seventh Voyage of Sinbad come just before or, or after Jason the Argonauts but uh, around I think the same it's earlier time. it was earlier, earlier. it's fifty eight and Ar- yeah. Argonauts was what sixty one ish or sixty three yeah and and there's there's a famous uh, reanimated skeleton fight in in that one too and Harryhausen was so dedicated to getting it right he actually uh, took fencing lessons because he wanted to make sure that the motions that the skeletons were using were, you know, they seemed believable or whatever. And so then he, they really had to pioneer this entire thing where they had this actor and he had to react to, you know, pretend like he's fighting something, but also like, uh, pull his sword back. Like he was actually getting hit by the skeleton sword it was this whole thing, this whole huge production around this tiny scene. But I mean, that's Harryhausen in a nutshell. He's in, absolute lunatic uh <laughs> who pioneered some amazing film techniques yeah i think i think the the huge takeaway like looking at these movies is they're, they're wonderful i think harryhausen's entire body of work is just a treasure but like you, you do look and you go yeah if i were a studio executive this seems impractical <laughs> like you could you could yeah. see why this didn't last you know harryhausen was the guy but it wasn't like everyone was doing this and it's like we could do whatever we want it's like it's so exacting Mm. and difficult and you could shoot an awful lot of footage and not have it work and have to go out and reshoot it again you know there's so many exacting details that the footage must you know marks that have to be hit to make it work and you could completely fuck that up and then have to go and not know about it for months until you're like putting it together again so it's you could see why you know uh other effects methodologies kind of took over and then cg just meant you didn't even have to try so hooray and and the other thing to think about too is even though when you're watching harryhausen movies today you can see the the structure and the scaffolding for what would eventually become big studio tentpole uh you know mostly family-friendly uh, summer blockbuster films, right? And you can see that in something like Jason the Argonauts. The difference is, is, you know, when it, the Avengers 9 comes out and it's got a $300 million budget, you're like, well, it's kind of funny that it still looks like shit, but, you know, that's it's got a big budget. With Harryhausen's movies, it was this, like, bleeding-edge work that he was doing. Literally the only guy who can do it. And most of his movies, they weren't low budget. This wasn't like Roger Corman presents Ray Harryhausen, but uh, his shit was not <laughs> like top of the heap, mega budget filmmaking. You know, these were, these were like million dollar movies. No. And they would try and make, you know, 10 times that back. But, uh, and frequently, I think Jason the Argonauts was the first movie that Harryhausen was involved in that actually got its own 
distribution as a single film. Everything else he did basically played as like a drive-in double feature. So yeah. that also speaks to the the budget and the kind of promoting they did for it. Uh, also, uh, this movie kind of ate shit at the box office when it came out and <laughs> sort of made its way back as uh, a kind of a cult classic and it's something that played in syndication all the time. But um, yeah, I, yeah I, I think that the yeah the the relative budgets is probably if you wanted to like complain a little bit about these movies. I mean, you know, elements of these movies that I do can I can struggle with a little bit, and certainly like Jason the Argonauts is that where you're spending all your money on Harryhausen's time and efforts, you don't spend that money on top line actors. You you know they mostly they don't no. want they mostly don't want to pretend to fight skeletons. They mostly have other things they want to be doing. So you got to get like there's this other tier of actors that are brought in a lot of young first timers and then kind of like character actors doing the villains and stuff who are honestly the best part. I mean, they, they get the best roles. Yeah. The heroes in almost all of Harryhausen's movies are like anonymous white guys, uh, just not very memorable at all. I would say Jason the Argonauts suffers from that as well. Jason is maybe one of the less interesting things in his own movie frankly oh, yeah. uh, you know and and that's it's fine i mean he cuz he's really he's just a body to play off of harryhausen's kind of special effects and then the villain is the one who really gets to do stuff you know you always have the terrible guy who's do you know who's basically gets to nosh on the scenery and and pretend to swing mm -hmm. magic and tell statues to come alive and attack people. So yeah, there, there's this element, I think, to the movies where there, there can be a little bit of a kind of a stagey acting element to it. But um, yeah, sure. I mean, minor complaint all in all. I'm not I'm not particularly bothered about it because there's so much other stuff going on. Honestly, it's kind of, I think it's kind of entertaining, frankly, that you've got oh, this yeah. kind of B-movie tier human element with this cutting edge special effects. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm kind of with you on that front. And not even just the acting, which I don't know, it's usually serviceable, but it's the production outside of the Harryhausen effects is often exactly that stagey where a lot of mm. it is. And notably, these are all UK co-productions and that is uh, kind of evident. There's a particular look you associate with like uh, the UK uh, wide uh, mainstream films of a certain budget from that era, which is, yeah, very stagey and th this certainly has that in space well i would say less so jason mm -hmm. and the argonauts for, oddly enough for whatever reason for me i i think the harryhausen stuff it maybe gets better as it goes along uh through these three films but it's probably integrated a little worse <laughs> as it goes along like there's something about uh the older film stock and and just like sort of the visual quality of things that it really fits better with older film to me. Like it just looks right mm -hmm. here. Like it, it just mm -hmm. feels like it belongs in a way that when we get into clash of the Titans, there's times where you're like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely something weird about eighties film stock and, and what they're neat. And also I think clash of the Titans is a little, it's, it's aiming to be a little darker. And I think Harry house needs light which is why I think Jason the Argonauts works very well. I think Sinbad works really well, honestly. I actually really, I think that movie's even better than I remember it being when I watched it for this podcast. I'm like, man, this is just great goddamn fun. And it looks, it's mm -hmm. got that like, what would be the word, racist 
exoticism to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know what? It's yeah. great fun. <laughs> just just confirming that Jack enjoyed the uh, the great fun of the racism found in Sinbad and the <laughs> Golden Boy. It's great. You know, and what's weird about it, honestly, you know, not to jump onto the next movie, but what's weird in the Sinbad mm-hmm. movie is like they're all Muslim by depiction. Yeah. yeah. And actually, all of it's handled very respectfully. They just didn't hire any Muslims or people from <laughs> the, the Arab world. Not a single one. They just hired some darker-skinned British guys. So, no, it's, it's, you know, it's like literally like a blue-eyed, blonde-haired guy who got a tan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the third by the third Sinbad movie, they are hiring literally John Wayne's son to play Sinbad. So, yeah, yeah it gets, like Adam, as you say, it gets weirder as his work progresses almost. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. about it that really fits in with, like, the 50s and 60s aesthetic uh, perfectly. And that's not to say that I'm glad that this sort of style was abandoned, because far from it. Because, again, even even before we get into the CGI era, you look at something like the 70s King Kong movie, where they're, they're just going full Toho man in suit, and it's so much shittier than like, the <laughs> ancient King Kong movie that uses cool stop motion. You're like, wow. Yeah, I think stop motion. It just it just bridges a gap at the imagination. I think there's just something very satisfying about its tactile quality that, and you know, I I think it just works really well for me. And I have always said, you know, I like I don't dislike CG as a tool. I think <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with it, but I do think film nominally, I think yeah, and maybe my issue is kind of the digital filmmaking ethos is that you know film always used to be a physical process it was all photochemical it was real strips of film it was playing with light it was you know tactile elements to it you know treating it this way doing all that stuff and then the special effects i think you know it was all within this kind of system of like the special effects used to all be physical things as well that you would create and you would try and like you know kind of like wrangle together you know you you had some degree of optical effects and things too but mostly those optical overlays looked real shitty you know and you yeah know, as we mm-hmm. talked about last week uh, hercules and all <laughs> of its like zany animation overlaid on top of everything you know i think film for me has always worked better when i have this sense that like there's real stuff on screen even if the stuff does look kind of shonky and gnarly and stupid sometimes i don't it just it just really appeals to me as this process of a band of people in a room kind of working stuff out and getting it on in you know in picture where digital is much more light and airy and kind of like uh, negotiable you know um mm-hmm. yeah you know and maybe you know it's not i don't want to discard digital totally but i think there is something very satisfying about film processes that Harryhausen is very much in line with, that he's he's an artisan in the same way that I think filmmakers, you know, of that time understood that like it, it all fit together as this physical craft of filmmaking. And now mm-hmm. it's not really a physical craft anymore in that same way. Other than I mean someone still has to lock cameras around, they still weigh a lot. Uh but that's <laughs> that's pretty much like the main thing is like now it's, you know, the equipment still weighs something, but the special effects, you know, bunch of it's a bunch of dudes and there are 80 hour work weeks slowly going insane 
Uh, that's that's all it is. It's a different well, kind of hell. The key there is they're non-union employees, so uh, better better to offload it to those uh, poor men behind their keyboards. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's true. Yeah, if if the VFX houses are talk of unionizing, maybe if they unionize, movies will get better because they're going to find out they have to spend the money either way, and they might actually and it's probably move much back more honestly, like time-wise, uh, probably much more time-consuming for a large team to do stuff like that, but. Yeah. yeah, they're just not paid the same wages, which is, yeah, I, there is a fine line, though. There's, like, CGI could be a, a huge boom for the, the movie industry and, and realism and just beautiful effects. Like, this could be, and I'm sure some people listening would say, what are you talking about? Visual effects are better than they've ever been. And to me, the, that that's not really the case, uh, for what I look for, anyway, because there's... A fine line between using technology to supplement what you have, which is honestly exactly what you see in a Harryhausen movie. You're you're supplementing the film material with interesting effects. And and what has happened now is it's pivoted to this entire direction where most blockbuster filmmaking is filmed in a green box and it's just like nothing is there. And it's just it, it, yeah. it doesn't yeah. feel right. Uh, you know, uh, it, people make fun of, of the aesthetic of uh, you know, uh, garbage auteurs like Neil Breen, because Breen shoots a lot of green screen stuff. So it'll be this like weird thing where it's like, oh, he's standing on a staircase when, it, but he's not. He's actually just standing on a box in front of a green screen. It looks fucking weird, uh, especially in in Breen's last film. And based on what I've seen in the trailer, his next or his current film that he just released that I'm going to be seeing next week, a lot of just like shit green screen work. But that shit green screen work is so much closer to what mega budget contemporary uh you know tentpole action cinema is than anything else it's fucking crazy like what how many how many steps are there between what dc's the flash looks like and what neil breen's i am here now looks like <laughs> it's it's honestly not as far off as you think. Yeah, the process um, isn't as far off as you think. It's just the, the level of expertise behind creating the, the effect. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. funny. We go back to, like, uh, Jim Wynorski, and we, we covered uh, Witches of Breastwick and a couple of weeks back, and the big thing of that was, like, he got a, a house, a location for, like, three days, and he's like, I can make a movie because I got this free house, and it's like... Yeah, nowadays for the big budget movies, they don't even need the house. You just need the room, a room with covered in green, yeah. and it's like you need a fucking warehouse in Atlanta. That's it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it's yeah. I don't know. Things might recover, but to to you know to talk about like Harryhausen is it's just uh I don't know. It's fun. I you know I don't think this is ever going to be able to come back the way that he's doing it because this this is just absurdly time consuming no. and logistically just like basically you need a lunatic who's willing to do it and ray harryhausen was the lunatic and great but who wants to sign up for that i mean phil tip and a few other guys did amazing work and you know major movies like obviously like jurassic park and so on but um you know the, the far less uh specific work that they had to do you know they, they weren't like resting the entire movie on just th these guys doing like whole scenes built from from nothing um, mm -hmm. was supplemented by other things. They had animatronic elements and CG and other bits and pieces. And, you know, I guess the, thing, the great thing CG has allowed is, like, there's so much CG that's, like, um, 
imperceptible, like little just alterations things. It's nice to be able to do that. That's cool. You know, you can do certain things here and there with that. But, you know, I think it's it's always moderating what exactly that goes with and, you know, what what's the end for it all. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, give me this shit every day. But then again, I'm not a I'm not a filmmaker. And I can fully understand a filmmaker who just wants to get the movie made and they have like a a system and their, you know, their editing suite that just allows them to create some trees they need to hide something. Uh, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, I'm not <laughs> going to say you shouldn't. Uh, I'm just mm-hmm. saying, you know, it comes a problem when, you know, Disney have millions to throw at a movie and they still can't get this stuff right. That seems like a problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, well, I'm I'm with you. I think sure. I'm yeah. I wouldn't espouse like abandoning digital technology for filmmaking, and it, it can make for some incredible effects. I I just think there's got to be sort of a third way, and it, it, of course, it's not stop motion. The stop motion was never the dominant like effects form because it is so goddamn labor intensive and takes like a true master craftsman to pull off effectively. And yeah, I, I just think. Somewhere along the line, uh, yeah, people are just going to reject this. And like, you, I might as well watch animated films exclusively if I, if if this is what live action films are now. Uh, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the radical stance, and I I just think all movies should be stop motion completely, or they just shouldn't exist. So you got to work really sure, hard for it. Bill Tippett only. Well, I'm gonna cut down <laughs> I mean, on the amount pretty... of things we have to watch every week. Right? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's pretty great in these movies. One of the things I love in Harryhausen movies is every so often they, you know, they overlay a lot of live action with the stop motion puppets. But then every so often the puppet grabs someone, and then suddenly the person becomes stop motion too. And it's mm-hmm. and God, it's so great. And Harryhausen actually works it really well. And honestly, I think some of these performers maybe maybe they should have been stop motion from the get go. They'd be a <laughs> yeah, little bit more. They... No more riveting up better. on screen. Yeah, Jason the Argonauts is it's fun because not only I, I think it's probably the best example of Harryhausen's style. Like if, if you just had to show someone one movie and be like, this is Ray Harryhausen, I think you show him Jason the Argonauts, right? And I know it's Harryhausen's favorite movie. Uh, but I also think it's a great example of like the 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 structural behind the scenes things that make a Harryhausen movie possible which is, as we discussed previously, you're building the movie around his effects uh, at the expense of maybe a script that makes more sense or characters that, you know, with being played by actors that are of a certain quality, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so what, J.C. Argonauts is great for that, too, because you get all kinds of stuff that I, I fucking love, but I feel like if anybody would have glanced at this script for more than 30 seconds, they probably would have scrubbed this shit out. Uh, specifically, I love that Hercules is just an old piece of shit. Oh yeah, I love. I, I really want to give a shout out to Dad Hercules. Yeah, he's oh, he's Dad incredible. Just, great. just just some dude who's just a loud mouth dumbass. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, incredible. We honestly, yeah, honorary holdover from last week's Hercules episode. I want to give big shout out to the man in Jason the Argonauts who oh. does basically nothing for anyone and is no help. I was he to is, the point and, where and I was like, is this just even a guy named strong. Hercules or is this Hercules? Like, right. yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> just some dude who shows up, throws a discus and then directly disobeys orders and gets a couple of people killed. Just what it's, you need. It's great. And and like he's you look at him, and you're like, well, he's tall, but he's not like taller than anybody else. And you're like, he's kind of got muscles, but he's not <laughs> any more muscular than anyone else here. 
And then, yeah, he's just a, a boastful dickhead uh, to the point where, like, his whole thing where the, the, uh, the guy that he ends up getting killed, they're, they're like a little fun duo because Hercules is uh, allegedly physically strong, although we don't see a lot of that. <laughs> and then this other guy is supposed to be like, ooh, witty and smart. So Hercules, like, throws a discus and, like, smacks a rock off in the ocean. And then the other guy, like, skips a discus and makes it do the same thing. And I'm like, well, I, I think it requires about the same amount of arm power. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah it doesn't <laughs> I don't make think a Hercules lot of sense. is that strong. And then, and then he gets his little buddy killed, and he gets, and, and fucking Talos wakes up, and you get this amazing sequence. Uh, so I guess shout out to Hercules for that. But the whole reason is, is Jason is like, okay, was chatting with the gods. Real simple. We're going we're gonna to pop over on this island. There's going to be a lot of shit there. Don't fucking touch anything. Just food, water, totally fine. Any food or water you find is, is good. Just don't touch any other stuff. So immediately Hercules is like, oh, I found a giant hairpin that I would like because it, I think it could be a sword. And then they're like, no, don't touch that. And then he doesn't. And then, you know, he gets fucking chased around. And even when Jason initially tells the the crew that they can only get food and water and then they have to get back and, and he's Hercules is like, what if there's pussy? Like, you tell me I can't just like fucking bang chicks if I find chicks there? And th this is like an entire conversation. Hercules getting riled up because he can't fucking rail anybody or like steal a hairpin. Fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's amazing. Yeah, frat boy Hercules. Uh, he's just like, I, I just really enjoyed this plot mechanic because it kind of fast forwarded in this movie to the point where it doesn't make sense. Like, a lot of the Grecian myths are about, you know, men being tempted by fate and making, you know, succumbing to the temptation and so on but it's real clear in this movie in like it's 100 minute runtime that's like the gods are directly intervening in all of this everything here is forged by the gods and uh mm -hmm. jason is is in you know entrusted with their wisdom on this incredible quest and then jason's like all right don't do this. And immediately he's like, nah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get tempted by a whole bunch of stuff. And it's like, have you been paying attention <laughs> to anything that's been happening here? But, that's you know, really you, you wouldn't stuff. have a movie. What, who, Jason and the Sensible Argonauts? No. Who, what even is an Argonaut? I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you what an Argonaut is. Yeah, uh, they, they clarify Jason, that? Jason names uh, his crew, the Argonauts, after the guy who made his boat, Argo. Argo, and Argo okay. is the guy who looks like your grandpa, but he's in a diaper. Yeah. yeah, he's the one who weirdly spends even more, he like wears the least amount of clothes of any of the sailors, <laughs> despite being the oldest. Uh, yeah, which, and like the softest too. He's just like, he's got a real, real soft body. Like, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And he's like sunburned as shit for real, because <laughs> clearly they spent a lot of time in, in the ocean on this boat shooting these scenes. So it's just like, yeah, this fucking doughy ass diaper grandpa who's beat red like a fucking lobster just hooting and hollering about shit. It's great. Yeah, they don't even say Argonauts until, like, I, I think the the nation that they go to plunder is the one who christens them the Argonauts at some point. Yeah. It's just like, Argos just is up. the guy, he names the ship Argo, and then uh, somewhere along the line we get to Argonauts. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's, this movie is hammered the accelerator the whole way. Like, it's just like, plot beats, oh, fuck God. that. Like, it's just like, Oh, you you normally you would expect to see like, oh what how, what, how did uh, how did Jason get saved or, or like how, how was he alive or how was he brought up and what brought him back to the kingdom and it's just like, no he's a baby, he's saved 
he's back as an adult and he's confronting the king. And then again, you're like, oh, this king's going to be the the mustache twirling villain. It's like, no, he's out of the movie. He's gone. (laughs) (laughs) That's the part. Okay. So that's the part that I have trouble buying into. Like everything else about this, like the script economy is fucking amazing. And I think it would, it would probably, if, if you're like some, screenwriting professor something you're like oh god there's so many problems fuck off okay there's like a bunch of stop motion monsters go eat shit the, the, the one thing that i can't wrap my head around is like the whole thrust of the movie in the beginning like you know he's a baby then he's an adult and there's this whole to do with the gods where they're talking about like okay jason is uh he's gonna be the king and he but he's going to he's going to dethrone Peleus and Peleus knows this and he's trying to kill baby Jason and then he has this run in with Jason later when Jason's an adult it's this whole big thing they got to get this fucking golden fleece and what happens at the end and, and this movie is fucking just going along at, at an insane <laughs> pace and then you get towards the end and they're like okay we got the golden fleece what the fuck is it I I, I don't know. It's it's literally just a fucking fleece. And then all of a sudden, his girlfriend gets fucking pegged in the back with an arrow, and you're like, oh no. And they're like, oh no, we got the fleece. It's fine. The fleece <laughs> fixes when, you're, when your girlfriend gets hit with an arrow. It fixes that. Puts the fleece on her. She's back. Okay. Now we fight skeletons for four minutes. We defeat the skeletons. We're back on the boat. And in my head, I'm like, there's like another 30 minutes of this. There are 45 minutes of this, and they're going to sail back, and he's going to take the throne. He's going to uh, he's gonna get that make that lady his queen it's gonna be a whole like there's a whole ending here that's it's just laid out in front of you but then i realized like okay if you have them go back and they have to fight and they have to like kill and dethrone the king and all that stuff there's really not a lot of room there for a harryhausen effect and these movies are built right. around harryhausen <laughs> effects so what happens the movie just fucking ends it's over we're done <laughs> yeah they're just like in the middle of nowhere with the fleece and they're like we're on the boat. Let's go back and get our uh, claim our throne. And then the gods are like, well, that's the story for another day. But it's not because there was never a sequel to this because Harryhausen always thought that this movie was going to be a Sinbad movie. And then at the last second, they're like, Jason, the Argonauts. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I love that. That's fucking amazing. I love that. That's the demonstration of the power of the golden fleece too, because it's like they set up like, 10 minutes earlier this plant <laughs> heals all wounds and then you're like oh they're gonna get the plant and put it on her arrow wound it's no like, no no we've got another thing that does the exact Places. same thing I'm like, it really is and and this is great because i mean as a child you know eight-year-old me i'm like fuck yeah jason and the argonauts and i think part of that is because the third act of this movie is is like written like a child would write a movie. It's, it's, <laughs> it really is like speaking to my brain, you know. It works. You know, great. I think I think that's the part of the whole layout of this that really works. Like it, it, there is this kind of balance to the movie that that the the fantastical elements that like it doesn't sweat the small stuff. It's all about the big things, and yeah, it, it just kind of it, it works because it's got that kind of childish kind of energy to it and it's infectious mm-hmm. rather than annoying yep baby mindset you gotta have it fucking embrace this <laughs> i think shit. jason don't does be a, and that's, don't be that's his nerd. key to success is his his baby mindset because what what is his plan even it's like i'm gonna go get that fleece he's like so we're gonna sack the city and steal the fleece he's like no no i i think they'll just give it to me for some reason <laughs> <I'm> like, what <laughs> it's like 
if I go up there and just rationally explain that I need the artifact that has brought their civilization prosperity for hundreds of years, I think they're just going to give it to me. I mean, he's a man on sure. a boat. You can't, not, not, not every time a man on a boat's going to come up. Would he really lead you astray? Surely. They might give it yeah. back later. Who knows? I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it, it is, yeah, it, it's that sort of movie. It, it's very threadbare, but who gives a shit? Because you've got the Hydra <laughs> and you've got the, the Stone Man and everything's, uh, it's good. It's, it's fun. The Hydra is amazing. I kind of wish the Hydra sequence went on longer, but that thing must have been a motherfucker to animate. Yeah. So I can see why they're like, you know, what? we're just going to kill this thing now. Mm -hmm. Oh, and mm -hmm. I, fucking King Triton, too. I love that sequence, even though it's not like a traditional oh, yeah. Harry Housen effect. It's just like a man sitting in a bathtub holding yeah. up <laughs> fucking rocks. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, that kicks ass. Um, well, that takes us to uh, Sinbad, or the, or the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. I keep saying Sinbad and the Golden Voyage, uh, which I love because, you know, I, I, had never, I had never watched this one before. I thought I had seen this one. I was like, no, I've only seen the first and the third. I have never seen the Golden Voyage of Sinbad for some reason. And I was just blown away by this because it's everything that I love about Jason and the Argonauts, but just like ratcheted up to a ridiculous degree. And I think for me, at least out of all the Harryhausen films that I've seen, this is kind of the final point where Harryhausen's techniques and just that older film stock are sort of perfectly gelling and you don't have the disparate elements of, uh, you know, more contemporary film techniques mixing with his stop motion and making things kind of fucking weird. And it, it just, it looks amazing. And there's individual sequences in this film that are just maybe the best of his career. Plus, once again, ostensibly a movie for children. It's rated G. and just just a, a relentlessly horny, violent, bloody film, which I respect. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a literal fountain of blood at the end of this. Uh, there is a, a Cyclops Minotaur that fights a griffin. What, what else do you need from a film? This has everything that you could ever want. Uh, yeah, I love this one. This, this is, a, to me, this is probably, um, I don't know, one of the top tier for me, um, and I think the reason behind it is why I like this one more than the other two we're discussing is because I do think the human elements here work a little bit better, and I think that's mm -hmm. largely because I think Tom Baker, aka Doctor Who, is an amazing villain. He seems like he's having a whale of a time. He's just he's just going crazy, uh, and then the exoticism elements of it, I think. I don't, they kind of work, they're a little bit more, I, I feel like the Grecian productions that they do are a bit kind of stodgy and like they're, they're not exactly wrong but they're not very interesting they're very much kind of the old hollywood kind of standards and it's basically ancient greece was a lot like england uh, and you know <laughs> and this one is kind of like in england so it's a it's the uh you know the arabian nights are a bit like england too but with a funny accent and it's just funnier more pillows a lot of pillows in in the arab nations and they they kind of go with that and it it just kind of works more for me i i really this for me is when when there isn't a crazy Harryhausen thing on the screen, I'm much more engaged mm -hmm. in this movie than I was in the other two. There there is always the risk yeah. with Harryhausen that the second there isn't a ginormous monster on screen, you're kind of like, oh, I'm just gonna check what time it is on my phone, maybe catch up an email. 
not so much here. This this one, I'm I'm fully invested in all of their... This one also has a little bit more of a mystery plot to it, too, I think. It's not exactly incredibly, uh, what we say, nuanced or, or developed. But since I guess the other two are, like, you know, inspired by fed uh, by labels or ugh, fables and legends and, and gods, destiny, you know, destining things, this is more of a kind of like Sinbad is just a lone man against the silly vagaries of the universe and there's supernatural elements and so on, but it feels much more mm. gung-ho fun adventure could go anyway. There's a little bit more uncertainty to it, although... Guess what? Sinbad triumphs. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's got yeah. it's got a lot of uh, just kind of like fun elements to it. To me, this one is my pick of the three, and uh, as a, even better than I remembered it being, and I remembered really enjoying it. But a really, really fun time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, this has a lot of shared DNA, I think, with uh, just like you know, golden era like swashbuckling movies, and I, I think that. Like you said, it kind of helps it because it's it's not the the stodgy Greek moralizing so much. It's just like yeah, just just a couple of buds on their boat trying to do cool shit. Uh, feels very Indiana Jones esque in that way. And also, yeah, this is one of the few instances in Harryhausen's career where he magically got good actors without actually having to pay anyone. Uh, so Tom Baker, who plays Cora, and he's fucking incredible. Originally, they were trying to get Christopher Lee, but. It, he wanted more money than they were willing to pay, which, by the way, it this came out in 1972. So uh, what the fuck is Christopher Lee asking for in 1971? It can't be that much. Well, I just think he was in a Bava movie just 10 years prior or whatever. Uh, I like, yeah, seems like Christopher Lee would show up anywhere, but maybe he just yeah. didn't want that. I don't know what the time constraints in this one might have been. Might have been mm. trickier or something. You might have to be available for reshoots or something. I don't know. But yeah, oh, yeah. I think Baker does. Like he's he's just he's very good as a wicked magician mm. who sacrifices his life forces for his evil magics. But he's searching for the fountain of youth, which he finds yeah. later on. You know, because why wouldn't it's guarded between a a one eyed fucking centaur and a griffin? As you know, yeah. as as the Great fables stuff. foretold. <laughs> yeah, and then I mean, you've got John Philip Lawson bad, and he's. He's perfectly adequate. Like he doesn't get in the way. He's Carolyn got this Monroe. great panto quality. Like everything he does, like hands on hips and like laughing. It's it's I mean, mm -hmm. this is a very classical standard, but a much more to me kind of like immediately fun classical standard than the Grecian fable films, which have a much more kind mm -hmm. of like this is very serious classical literature we are breathing life into. Whereas Sinbad is much more like we all put funny clothes on and we're going running around. Which, like yeah. I say, may be racist, but you know what? It's also fun for the time being. So, you know, what are you going to do? We can't solve this. It's too late. They already <laughs> made this movie. So let's just roll with it. Yeah, yeah. Carolyn Monroe is, I, every time she's on screen, you're like, this is the most beautiful woman who's ever lived. I, I can't, they, can't I, deal with her I shit. think a lot of, of dads probably brought their kids to uh, Golden Voyage of Sinbad. And imagine, you know, which, speaking of the glamour of, of cinema, that probably every single day there was someone whose job was to smear dirt and, like, mist Carolyn Monroe, because they really, <laughs> they really, they really go into it later on with her. Yeah. It's a... Uh, incredibly horny honestly cinema it's, it's, they, yeah, they're like, really I, not not even trying to hide it whoever did wardrobe on this is, is fucking hilarious because it looks like they had a regular wardrobe and then they like put it on her strategically hacked portions of it off 
And then they're like, okay, now how can we bring this in six sizes so it's entirely too small for them? Yeah, it's, it's not even like a, it's like slightly stuff. different than the Sybil Danning situation we ran into last week where Carol Monroe's <laughs> not even like some huge busty lass. It's just like, no, we just, we just squeezed her breasts so far together yeah. that it's just like the most, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just a cleavage city here for whatever reason. It's, it's insane. It's just like, what if you wanted like, uh, like your toddler to do the dance of the seven veils or something like that's the kind of, that they took a toddler outfit yeah. and just put it on Carolyn well, Rose. One thing I do really love about one. this movie is for all of Harry Harryhausen's remarkable special effects and the, the stuff in this is really really fantastic and there's some really cool optical effect overlays and stuff as well the eye tattoo on carolyn monroe's hand is like the shittiest <laughs> thing i have ever oh, seen yeah. like literally looks like a first grader was given like a like a, a stick like one of those like whatever kind of pastel sticks and was just like draw an eye on her there just quickly let's yeah. go this is like face painting at the stage yes. this is horrible. Yeah. but maybe a, a couple steps and lower. it's also one of those things that makes you go like what the fuck was that in the script? Like, what did they have in mind for this eye tattoo? Because the way <laughs> yeah, that it's it like that. executed, where they're like, the natives all react to seeing it, which the natives are green, by the way. Uh, yeah. They, they all react to seeing it like, oh, so you're like, oh, this is going to be one of those tropes where it's going to be like, oh, she's the, she's the new leader. Of, they're all going to follow her because she's got an eye on her hand or something. And it's like, no, they just throw her in the Cyclops pit. I'm like, They're going to feed her to their one-eyed <laughs> centaur Cyclops like, well, god. It's, it's, it's like, it's like branding cattle or something. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, she's been, uh, we, we were setting her aside for the old Cyclops pit, whatever she gets around to. I mean, weren't they going to presumably throw everyone in the Cyclops pit anyway? Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's an so. interesting one, but you know, it all works out because it turns out the Cyclops lives uh, where everyone wants to go anyway, so... Handy. Yeah, it's very, very useful. Uh, yeah, 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 it there's, was. There's really, really, uh, really cool Orson stuff Wells here. Orson was almost the Oracle in this, which I think is funny. Uh, another guy who wanted way too much money, so they just got Robert Shaw to do it. <laughs> uh, but, holy shit. Fucking Orson Wells popping up as the Oracle, I would have lost my goddamn mind. Uh, yeah, that's um, quite but, the fucking camp-tastic sequence, too. So, yeah, I can imagine... Uh, Orson Welles phoning it in probably would not have really helped better. <laughs> 1972 Orson Welles. Yeah. That's peak Orson Welles for me. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm a little like contrarian on this one, even though uh I think it's it's fun. And uh like the Kali sword fight is maybe the best Harry Housen effect. Like just the way that is integrated is just like fucking insane. I have no idea how they pulled that off, frankly. Uh but I don't know. The production of this is like, we've got, we've got Doctor Who here, and that, that seems fitting to me, because this, this very much feels like cheapo BBC stuff at times, where I'm like, a little taken out of it, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is a bit much. I, I can, I, I just don't have the affinity for the UK. It's like the opposite of Italy for me, where I'm like, oh, any Italian schlub can make everything look amazing, and here, you see a lot of the same production elements that we saw in the Bava. It's just that it doesn't look great. <laughs> it's like, well, we're using the gel lighting and somehow that just makes it look more like a shitty stage than uh, whatever the fuck Bava is doing to magically make everything <laughs> transport you somewhere. And here I'm like, yeah, this, this just looks like a bunch of guys stumbling around a soundstage covered in sand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Well, I mean, sure. yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it, it is that. That's, yeah, that's I, what we're I, seeing. I think I'm, so. I'm going to put it uh, for me. It's a little lower than uh, Jason and the Argonauts, even though I would I would say John Philip Law's Sinbad is is a much more uh, fun presence to spend time with, and it does have a proper villain, but uh, it's also a bunch of <laughs> British guys uh, praising Allah and. Yeah, it's it, it, so you prefer them to not room. praise Allah. Interesting, Mr. Myros. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Mm, good enough for them, he'd be good enough for you. I'm sure. Uh, also interesting, Jack, that uh, Adam Myros really enjoys the Kali scene. You know, it's almost like he's got some Islamophobia going <laughs> and he's got some problems with I'm Hinduism. I'm secretly Hindu. Is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, I, that I don't one know is where a I'm bit... going. I'm just throwing out questions, you know, asking questions. That's all. That one must have been Raising really concern. weird to see if you if you were Hindu and it's just like here's a six armed deity portrayed as a mindless golem with swords. Is <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, may, maybe not. Well, it's one of those things. But... Uh, when we were kids, uh, there was a toy line called uh, "Monster in My Pocket." Uh, oh yeah, yeah and I I, a lot. Those. You can you can tell that a lot of the designs were ripped straight from Harryhausen stuff. And um, they actually had to pull uh, the Kali figure out of that line because of protestations. So yeah, there was because they because they literally forgot that. You yeah, know, like, it was oh, this is just thing. a religious icon that we've uh, called a monster. <laughs> Sold to like Homer, Homer Simpson feeding peanuts to Ganesh in the in the Quick Stop or whatever yeah. store. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it, this is a good lesson in uh, you know. Uh, uh, you you can it, it's fine to love this but also recognize that like is it the most racially sensitive movie ever made I, probably uh, not i wouldn't even put a top five yeah, for that probably category. Not top five. it <laughs> isn't and yet i would i would say and yet strangely probably from a muslim perspective far less problematic than a lot of other movies that probably put a lot <laughs> more thought into it in a sense like it's kind of <laughs> odd on that front um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely lapses. Um, it is, it is of its time. They didn't, oh, they did not, I, I didn't, time. I don't recall in the end credits any cultural of advisors being credited. I no. don't think they asked anyone anything. Because why no. would you? White people, we know enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, England had obviously invaded all of those countries at, at a certain stage. They, yeah. they know all about the culture. So, uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I, uh, this is another movie, again, you just don't think about the plot too much, because this whole, like, quest for ultimate power or whatever, it's just like, the bad guy wins, and he gets his ultimate power, and then he just immediately stabbed. I'm like, well, I thought he, he had yeah, ultimate he, world ending power. How come Sinbad classic, stab him? No, classic hubris, <laughs> classic hubris, he, he gains the power of invisibility, then he just decides to stand still under a waterfall. Is that what everyone yeah, was so worried about, though? You gotta stop him, or, or everything's over. It's over for us, because he could be invisible. <laughs> Presumably he had a couple wow. of other things planned, but yeah, no locker room would be safe from this man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be snapping towels of your ass like it's fucking... Freddy too. This guy's grand uh, plan was like <laughs> fucking porkies or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He did do a fucking porkies move. Can you imagine that? All all the uh, all the bathhouses around around the world and he's just peeking in, looking at everybody's little fucking uncut well, release. Yeah, I mean to be fair, this is like the, the Adam Rifkin film, whatever the invisible maniac is essentially man, imagine if you could have got Harry House and into add a little bit of pizzazz to that movie. Could have really mm -hmm. been something.
Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Something, something to think about. Uh, but yeah, this one from this crop, at least, is it's probably my favorite. So um, I love it. Yeah, Full makes, recommendation. Makes you want to go back and and watch the other Sinbad movies. So I'll probably try and sneak those in sometime in the next week. But uh, then we get to uh, Clash of the Titans in 1981, which is pretty much the last thing Harryhausen does in terms of big feature films. I know he had some ideas for a uh, Clash of the Titans sequel and uh, some other well, uh, thankfully I think Hollywood realized movie. that in those plans like uh, 30 years later right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah they used Wrath of the Titans but not his script or any of his right, ideas yeah. after they did a Clash of the Titans remake uh, but I think it was smart because he could he probably could have kept going even though at this point it was getting hard to sell his ideas but this movie is it's it's more interesting as sort of a a time capsule and of a way of of seeing where big action films were and and where they were heading and then how those things are sort of sort of in conflict with each other because Clash of the Titans 1981 it's got a, a few of Harryhausen's best effects but it's also got a few of maybe the cringiest moments in a Harryhausen movie where you're like, why, why does this fucking look like this? And you have to remember 1981, like Star Wars already exists and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is coming out the same year and this is your big action adventure movie. So it, it almost feels like it's completely out of a, a different Well, And if we era. look at what we just covered, Conan the Barbarian is, is basically contemporaneous with this. It's like nuts to even think about looking at these two movies side by side. Yeah. It, it's fucking insane, yeah. So, uh, this one does star Harry Hamlin, a.k.a. the Hollywood fuck machine. Um, that guy, he's, uh, he's, he's had them all. Nicolette Sheridan, uh, he's, I think he's, he's married to one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills, Myros, a show I know you're very interested in. Uh, what a catch, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, hard, he was, hard he to was watch. banging one of the goddesses on set. Uh, yeah, and and got her. It was Ursula Andress? Yeah, the the Bond yeah, girl. Go. Yeah, who's who's like I think credited before him in the movie and has maybe one line of dialogue. She's like visible in like three scenes and then disappears. Uh, yeah, but yeah, disappears. So, whatever. Harry's trailer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and we got Lawrence Olivier as Zeus in ultimate ham mode. My God, I think Lawrence Olivier was on the verge of like fucking dying at this point. I feel like, and he was just like absolutely hamming it up wonderful shit uh but again you're you're getting this this weird excuse the pun clash with Harryhausen effects versus contemporary Hollywood techniques at the time and I think the number one thing that sticks out immediately is holy fuck in the opening where they've got the bird who's like flying over everything and and reporting back what's going on yeah to, to the what gods. a mess <laughs> What a fucking mess! Because and 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 the the worst part is is I'm just like yelling at my TV. I'm like, you don't have to do no. it like this because there's plenty of like POV shots where it's just airplane footage POV uh, looking over these beautiful landscapes, and they're like, no, let's like shadow project a fucked up bird. <laughs> 
but like only halfway. And then I mean, look, it it's, it's a maybe someone was making the as bird a, disappears a couple of times. And the intercutting like, no was an actual perfect. bird too, like flying over a completely different <laughs> landscape. And it's like, what yeah, the fuck? Why is do we the... need shadow puppet bird? I it's don't... just a failure of editing right there. They did him dirty. <laughs> they did it. They did him dirty. And I don't think that was Terry house. Too. It, but yeah, it, it looked like, it looks like absolute shit. And there's another one too, where, uh, even though I didn't grow up with it, I, I feel like this is from the time period. It's considered like a, a, a classic. And so it has been uh, remastered meticulously. And it does. It, it looks beautiful. Uh, but <laughs> the higher the definition gets, the, the more the seams kind of start to show with this. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame because... I don't know. Again, like it's some weird. of the best work of Harry Housen's career is yeah, and that Pegasus yeah, it's strange. Stuff. The Pegasus stuff. It's, it's just kind of like, uh, it's fuzzy. I mean, like, uh, there's always a softness to image. You were talking about, like, optical overlays. This is a, a mainstay of all of Harry Housen's work. But, like, this one is, like, softer than a goddamn Baywatch photo shoot. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. incredibly soft looking. It looks like it's eight generations old. And, I, and like, I, I do want, like, I think it's because 80s film stock just kind of sucked. They'd done, you know, through the mm -hmm. 70s and 80s, they'd switch to cheaper film stocks that, like, uh, you know, were much cheaper, but did things like uh, didn't hold color and stuff, you know, minor setbacks. Yeah. So, you know, but they were cheaper up front. And that was what studios you know, prioritize. I don't know if that's exactly the case in this one, but I, I, I don't know, because to me, this movie looks worse than the other two by a considerable margin, and yet it yeah. certainly is not the cheapest of these movies, even adjusted no. for inflation. It sure as shit is not a cheap movie. No, and there's times mm -hmm. where it looks mm -hmm. fucking incredible, but there's also, yeah, sure. like, it's a lot of it is in the editing. It's like trying to it's trying to mix this too much. Like, you know, if we have a shot of Pegasus in the older movies, you would, you would have, you know, a, a puppet version of, of Perseus on, on the horse. And here we're trying to do this rear projection, like POV shit. And it like the over the shoulder stuff of Harry Hamlin in those scenes, it's like, he's like fucking green and it it just looks awful. It looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. And this, this stuff with the villain too is, is like, constantly cutting between man in costume and stop motion. It's just like, we don't need all of this, frankly. Yeah, it, it yeah. does seem for that one that it probably would have been easier to cast an actor as the villain and then just do practical makeup costume effects to give him the tail and the hooves that he's supposed to have. We didn't need a lo every long shot as a stop motion villain. And it's like, it just, well, just doesn't really pay off here. Like, I mean, there's other well, stuff in this that's incredible. Calibus was just stop motion. Yeah. There, there wasn't going to be any because they do if... have some very good uh, practical makeup effects. When you know, anytime they shoot them from the shoulders up, basically, yeah, it's good. Uh, they just, it's just Neil McCarthy and makeup, and it looks fucking awesome. It does. It's but just then, weird to mix the two. <laughs> yeah, it's very odd mixing the two, and I don't think it's it's something Harry Housen had previously done in any of his movies. And I, I don't know. There's a lot of. I have a lot of like ideas and theories about why this is, it, and it's not shit. It's not shit. It's just mm -mm. not great. Oh, look at the Medusa uh, section. Jesus Christ. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The, the Medusa section is, is one of the best looking stop motion things ever yeah, committed fucking to film. It's ever astonishing. Fucking gorgeous. It's the eye God, movement yeah. and shit. It just looks so goddamn good. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and then each of the snakes in her hair is like moving individually, and you're just like, I can't even fucking deal with it. No, it's like when it's I was amazing. joking earlier about him, you know, the Hydra sequence and Jason the Argus being so short because it's just like a, such a goddamn nuisance to animate. The Medusa sequence here, he just did it. It's everything moving eyes the snakes the shadows the lighting the just rear projection of it moving through the corridors it, it's just like i mean it's a stop motion master class this is mm-hmm. you know you would show this to anyone as one of the greatest sequences in the entire medium without question yeah. it, that's just what it is wow exactly exactly but you still have all these disparate ideas that are, are dragging it down and i can't figure out if if one is weightier than another for making it the way that it is so uh for instance Harryhausen famously when he would when he would do these movies he would basically work alone he was he would just do his shit um this clash of the titans was the first time since mighty joe young that he actually had a team of people working with him uh, so i i don't know if if that somehow contributed to some of this weird shit i don't fucking know or you know maybe there's a condensed timeline uh the director of clash of the titans uh myros do you know all the great action films that uh desmond davis has made over the years i'm, I'm not familiar with old desmond davis must say. yeah exactly there's a reason why you're not fucking familiar <laughs> with desmond davis uh the answer is because he has not done jack fucking shit that's that's not a hundred percent true uh desmond came like desmond's first feature as a director is girl with green eyes which is a like british like new british drama major film you know from an edna o'brien but, adaptation uh, but I'm, I'm i'm talking i'm talking like action yeah yeah action, no absolutely action. like like this is where he came up from was this new british drama and it's like why is he on the roster for this like this this is james bond stuff like get one of those guys <laughs> exactly exactly and and you know what he's he made a shitload of uh tv movies for the bbc mm. and he 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 directed some movies before this and i'm sure he's a very uh capable man okay but if you look at his body of work, there is very fucking little that points to him being your guy here for Clash of the Titans. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe not the best choice. And I, and I think it shows because in a lot of the action sequences, the way that they're uh, that it's directed, you're just like, ah, fuck, I don't know, man. It feels like he's not fully committed or fully confident in what he's doing. And then the, the third element that's kind of floating around here is Harry Hamlin, who, aside from being the Hollywood fuck machine, was allegedly not a fun guy to work with. Quite difficult, in fact, uh, to the point where there was the script as it existed and then Harryhausen's own rewrite of it so he can make sure it's Harryhausen-y enough. And then I guess Hamlin, during the course of filming, would just demand changes that they that it, he would basically be like, I'm not doing it unless we do it like this, uh, which is kind of a dick fucking move because you're Harry Hamlin. That's your first time as a right. lead, and, in, and in it's a, insane because in I mean the understanding and one I think one of the reasons why Harry Housen's movies do not generally have a list actors in heroic roles particularly is because you are absolutely lower in the pecking order than the plastazine monster like there's no quite like get it get it Mm -hmm. in your head no one gives a shit about harry hamlin in clash of the titans absolutely not yeah absolutely not and and it was over dumb shit too uh like uh, there's one anecdote about how originally they were supposed to 
do the thing where because uh, you know like medusa in the story or whatever it's like oh she sees her own reflection and then she turns to stone and blah 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 and they were going to do that thing and there's going to be this whole stop motion sequence where medusa turns to stone and then he gets the head and it's whatever and harry hamlin's like no nah, i'm not doing it unless i could just chop her head off <laughs> so then, and then and then you get into another one of the weird disparate things about clash of the titans which again here is a movie for children okay uh Golden Voyage of Sinbad, yeah, you know it's 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 a horny movie, but you know whatever. And there's a, there's a little bit of gore here and there, but it you know whatever. Flash the Titans, pretty fucking gory, and I I counted like at least three titties and four butts in this yep, movie. You got so tits. <laughs> it's just weird to me. Like I I can't remember the last time I saw titties in a kids movie. It's just it's, oh, it's, it's a wonderful PG time. Yeah, yeah, the the early '80s PG or the '70s PG was uh, absolutely wild west. Frankly, it's where they, I yeah. mean, it's why they had to invent I, the new rating because they were like, "Wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. What are we doing?" I, I'm I'm not, and I'm not saying this to be puritanical no. or anything. Obviously, like I'm, I put put more titties. I want I want fucking titties in the in the next. Disney well, I mean, frankly, the way that three, it exists but, in in this context probably be healthy for a kid to view. You know, it's just it's the mother's yeah, bosom and yeah, body. yeah it's a, sure. We should have that in films well, for except, kids. Except for at the end, uh, right, right before well, the crack. Well, that's just a little eye just... candy for dad, you know. Yeah, <laughs> little, little. That's what they should do. Like all these, these fucking Pixar movies that are like, oh, it's about like real stuff and feelings, so the parents can like laugh along and and nod knowingly, and you're like, just why don't they just put a titty in a Pixar movie? Anyway, uh, but what I'm what I'm getting to is, it's just like. How many steps removed from like an Italian exploitation movie is Clash of the Titans? And honestly, not that many. No, right? the Italian movie. <laughs> we, would be we're on made, the fucking verge. <laughs> I would, would acknowledge what it is. I mean, yeah, I think there's a strain here because this is certainly the darkest of the three films. The one that has like a certain oh, veneer of like dreary as shit, edge. and, it, and yeah. it's also like literally dark too. Yeah, it is. It, it, yeah, visually, it's dark compared to like the eye-popping color of of Golden Voyage of Sinbad and stuff. Yeah, this is much more like steeped in shadow and kind of like grays and somber palette, which you know. And I, I kind of, I don't. Why do I want that? I don't really want that from a Harryhausen movie. I want it to be, you know, whatever needs to happen to make the special effects look good. And I think. I I don't know if that's what was happening here because the special effects often don't look that great when there are you know all these optical overlays. I think part of it was maybe was that they got they, because they could do it, they did. And you know, like you guys pointed out, there's like certain points like just just do it the old way, just do a shot reverse shot. We they don't have to be in the same frame together. Like it just if it looks bad, just stop it. You know, focus on the animated monsters. That part is still amazing. Um. But yeah, it's it's just kind of like it just the the grit on this isn't particularly convincing because it still has the same childish sensibilities of the other two movies where it makes a lot more sense mm -hmm. to have like and what happened to this person? Who cares? You know, and just kind of like keep moving. Yeah. Like and what happened next? Whatever. We'll just keep moving. And this one there's much more about, you know, oh great, weight of prophecy and they have strung a body set on fire and things and it's like yeah. Uh, this you know this seems really a little heavy considering that I still just want to see like a little gorgon puppet moving around you know <laughs> yeah yeah and and there's parts of it too where it's just like there's some real lazy as fuck shit too like there's the part where uh Perseus walks into the city uh and and then there's just a guard there and Perseus is just like 
hey, uh, what's, what's going on here? Just like, let me give you a the giant ex- lore dump. Yeah, he's yeah, Talo, the the exposition man who later yeah. gets he he turns into a recurring character. He gets killed by uh by by the main villain after defeating a scorpion or something. I don't you know. Yeah, yeah. A reoccurring character in the sense that it's not like he has anything to say or do. You just see him in the background. You're like, oh yeah, that's that's the exposition soldier. <laughs> yes. There he is. I mean in a in a sense it's accurate to the conception of uh that man is really just a, a you know kind of like tossed around by the wills of the gods because all the people in these movies are just pretty boring and they don't seem to have mm. much invested in anything and I don't really care but much yeah. of what they do either. Like Harry Hamlin and is not not a riveting action hero in this movie. No. Not at all. He's he's a little fucking. If, baby I mean, man, honestly, I the him. opening is really funny because it's pretty much like he's favored by Zeus. He's good looking and strong and popular, and it's like, oh, so this is our hero. Cool. Like, do I? Well, oh, way to root for this guy. Setup. And we touched on it too, where it gets it gets kind of dark in spots. But the thing is, is this movie is full on fucking baby mindset which is fine, as we've discussed with the previous two movies, like, go fucking baby mode. I'm okay with it. However, it, it's baby mode, but it doesn't think it is. This is like a fucking 13-year-old boy who thinks he's fucking cool. Um, whereas before, it was like the childlike wonder of Jason and the Argonauts. No, no, no. Now he's a fucking teenager, and he's got acne and, and boners, and he's fucking just an annoying little fucking prick. And because, like, yeah, who's, who's Perseus? It's like, well... So, uh, Zeus is a giant man-child, despite being, like, the most powerful god in the universe, and he decides to turn this Calibus guy into a mean donkey pig man, because, um, I guess Calibus was, like, he was like fucking kind of a dick to flying horses. Yeah, he was gambling and, and was not nice to the flying horses. Like, anyone gives a shit. Like, Zeus should give a shit. Oh, Zeus doesn't actually give a shit. He's just like, oh man, I wish my fucking uh, Nepo baby son, Perseus, could just slide on in there and marry the hottest chick in the fucking world and uh, just just be the king of this kingdom. Wouldn't that be convenient? So, uh, yeah, that fucking sucks. Yeah, I will give a uh, shout out. I'll give a shout out because in the pantheon of the Greek gods, uh, Olivier obviously is just having fun with it, rolling, oh, you know, he's, yeah, he's mode, he's as you great. say. But uh, Maggie Smith is in there and without question is the mo doing the most acting in this film oh um, yeah we, we, like, she's she's great she's showcasing again that you know she's a great theatrical actor who understands that you know you can you could accomplish a lot by not doing much and she's underplaying where where olivier is is just going for it you know she's like oh, yeah. i think maybe not underplaying might be the wrong word but just kind of like bringing it back down again kind of like not not trying to meet him where he's at because it would just be insane <laughs> and just kind of like yeah. tethering like anchoring it really well and also i mean and then burgess meredith obviously is uh, kind of in olivier mode he's just sort of like he mm-hmm. kind of fun he's just there but he doesn't really have to do much he mostly just has to be really no. impressed by the hero which is just you know well great yeah. cool fucking ham city it's great no i maggie smith is wonderful in this uh, also, how funny is it that she's just the oldest person? Like, she's always been old. <laughs> this is yeah, 1981, this is you're like, fucking yes. ancient. <laughs> what is she? She's like, oh, late That was like 45 years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, Burgess Meredith is also a lot of fun in this. It's definitely uh, one of the stronger casts, but it's a... Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, there's something just a little bit w- weird about it. It, it feels off, uh, yeah. but it, it's still... A great deal of fun, I would say. I, I mean, it's 
it's hard not to recommend any of these things just to just to see Harry Housen's work. You know, it's, it's just sure. But yeah, this is uh, it, it's a little lower, which is weird. I mean, what do we know? I guess because this is probably the biggest hit of the bunch. I think. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's also like this is the one that's like two hours long as well, which is like I think maybe fits hit, fits in with the fatigue element of it. It's just sort of like there's maybe a bit too much movie here. If you're if mm-hmm. you're gonna do it like that, but you know, yeah, I mean, the, the Medusa sequence alone is, uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, pivotal. Oh, yeah. uh, less less uh, critical, I would say, is Robot Owl and oh, yeah, Beaver or whatever the hell he's called. Oh uh, well, we we talked about how we're we're in the post Star right. Wars era, and it's like I I wonder if this was Harryhausen's idea to do Robot Owl, or if someone's just like, what if we had an R two D two, Mister Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're we're faithful to to the the fables of Grange and Greece until we have to like I launched the toy line. All the kids want the beeping <laughs> robot owl. Mommy, I want a Bebo for Christmas. <laughs> uh yeah, I, it is. It, the, that owl is egregious. The voice is identical to R two D two, and it, you can feel Star Wars all over this fucking movie to some extent. Yeah, and also yeah. the robot owl is exactly what. Harryhausen's puppetry isn't like every other stop motion animator is looking for shortcuts by you know doing like clunky you know robots and things are great because robots move in a rigid fashion and so on Harryhausen was always a dude's like no my they're all living they breathe you know all the most yeah. annoying little tiny movements and ripples of muscle and flesh and folds of skin I'll do it all because I'm nuts you know, and then suddenly in this movie we've got Robot Owl, and it just looks like a fucking tin pot that well, spins around. You know where this thing belongs? Fucking Luigi Cosi's Hercules. <laughs> right. It's, fucking straight out of that This feels like exactly the special effect that you would find in Italian Harryhausen. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Bibu. Uh, yeah, and I guess the last thing that we should say about Clash of the Titans is uh, it's it's got one of the most consistent figures uh, that you're going to see throughout Sword and Sandals month, uh, this this month in Optimism Vaccine, and that's the homie Pat Roach. He's in, that's he's right. in Clash he's of the Titans. Everywhere, too. apparently. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere. He's in like uh, 75% of the fucking movies we've talked about, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, right? That's that's the seal of quality. Real, real surprise, because if you'd asked me beforehand who I thought would keep showing up, it wouldn't have been him, because I would never have predicted him as a man who would keep showing up in a series of movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. No one guy, would have. I knew how to get get a paycheck. I mean, he's a huge fucking dude, uh, and he's scary as shit looking. So yeah, good on him. Uh, all right. Well, hey, we got to wrap things up. So, uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? I'm putting over a, a lame mainstream thing. Uh, when I say, you know, why not just watch something animated? I, maybe I'm specifically pointing toward the superhero genre at this point because who the fuck could be bothered to watch any of these live action things? They all look like slop. Uh, you know what doesn't look like slop? Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, these movies, I don't know how the fuck they get made, and I can't imagine the amount of uh, man hours that go into animating them, but uh, Jesus Christ, it looks fucking incredible. And uh, yeah, yeah, if, if you're interested in uh, animation or just uh, want to see something that'll make your eyeballs bleed uh i would recommend this it's not like some outstanding narrative piece it's it's really it, it should it should by all rights have like a part one it's it's very much the uh 
the Matrix reloaded experience where you're like expecting the movie to end. Uh, and then it's just a setup for a third movie and you're like, oh, well, that's fucking shitty marketing. Thank you very much. Well, I guess you could call it the Jason and the Argonauts style of filmmaking. But uh, I, I don't find myself caring that much because it's a, it's a fucking Spider-Man movie. So who gives a shit really about the plot? It's just, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, again, how, how these are getting made in a, in a landscape where every animated movie looks exactly the goddamn same, uh, except for these. So, yeah, I would, I would seek that out. I would, I would highly recommend it. Wow. Jack, are you going to be putting over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? Uh, weirdly enough, no. Although, uh, for <laughs> everyone who's excited about that, good for you. I, I also loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was a child. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'll probably, I'll probably rent it. Or, I mean, uh, there you yeah. go. I mean, no, I'm going to, I'm going to put over something far more mature than that. Cause I'm going to put over Gorgo, which is a fucking <laughs> British, fucking Gorgo? Gorgo, a British kaiju movie wow. from 1961, uh, where, where a monster is found off the coast of Ireland and is dragged back to London by greedy sailors. And then it, the mother of the monster, an even larger creature, obviously comes to get it back and smashes very specifically like seven or like very specific like three key uh famous buildings in london it's it's very funny like it's specifically like the the tower bridge tower of london big ben and piccadilly circus and then just leaves nothing else is smashed just very specifically those three famous things you might remember um and a couple mm. of other nondescript buildings but yeah very fun uh very shonky and careless and looks goofy as hell vinegar syndrome just put it out on a 4k disc which is uh a choice certainly but i i don't regret it i think it's it's great to just see this movie in eye-popping 4k hdr um <laughs> like and like the the monster is a man in a suit but i think they did like a pneumatic head so his mouth flaps open and closed it's it just it, honestly <laughs> they didn't need to it wasn't worth it but i'm glad they did uh, really stupid movie, really entertaining, really fun because everyone in it is awful. All, like every British person in the movie is just a greedy, evil, terrible person who rips mm. their country to shreds. The, the heart of the film is some small Irish boy who basically spends the whole movie going, you should, probably shouldn't be doing that. And uh, they're like, no, but think of the money we'll make. And then big ben topples over great movie what i think is really funny about the movies for all like it's obvious it's a godzilla ripoff clearly like this is like oh we can make our own and and obviously it's really weird any kaiju movie that doesn't have the fucking shadow of hiroshima behind it it's just becomes a very strange thing that way uh but but it is really weird because uh japan still basically remade this movie too they took gappa which is uh, literally has the exact same plot about some greedy sailors finding a monster, a giant monster, and taking it back to Japan to put in a zoo, and then finding out there's an even gianter monster that is its mother that comes looking for it. So three cheers for Japan for first allowing themselves to get ripped off and then just being like, yeah, you know what, we'll remake it too. So yeah, check out Gorgo. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Gorgo... Uh what's what's the turtle one that i like oh uh, gamera 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 he's great too oh yeah i mean yeah kaiju very, very much in the same harry and mold like honestly i'll watch any one of them they're absolutely just appeal to to the base of my brain whatever whatever is the default mm -hmm. setting i could just watch those all day long 
<laughs> Jack claims to be an adult when, in fact, he's just two Irish toddlers, one stacked on top of another, and they're wearing a trench coat. So, Why would I even deny it? It's, it's the perfect way to be in this world. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to put over another Harryhausen movie, because you should probably be watching more Harryhausen. What the fuck are you doing with your life? Just, just watch something. Uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, the first Sinbad movie that Harryhausen made. I think you should watch that. I still think it's my favorite, even though I really, really love the, the second movie, The Golden Voyage. Uh, but yeah, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, watch that movie, fucking awesome. And really, just watch any Harryhausen, and you'll be doing yourself a favor. It'll bring you immense joy in your life. And I think, I think you're lacking joy. You listen to this podcast, not a lot of joy there. You need some joy. So why not? Why not watch Harryhausen? And I think all of the the indicator sets are they they're back in print or the movies are available. Am I think I right, so. Yeah, Jack? I think you can buy them at least individual titles, and they're great discs. I I don't think you. I'm not sure about Jason the Argonauts because I think that was in the box set, but it was just the Sony disc, mm -hmm. so it's probably still available from Sony, and it would be the same disc. They just managed to to slot it into their box set for completion. Yeah, which in case you're wondering too, uh, <laughs> if you do have the box set. And you're like, oh, I love the, uh, the clean menu design and, <laughs> and features of the indicator disc. And then you, you put in the fucking Jason the Argonauts disc, and it, it has to load. Like, there's a little sword, like an animated sword on the screen, and then the fucking Blu-ray has to load. You know what's even I've funnier is in, in that set is that the DVD that's also included is a completely different disc. It's like an older generation disc, mm -hmm. so it's got, like, the, the menu of it looks like fucking the Sega Genesis Columns video game. Like, it's absolutely bewildering looking, and the movie it's, looks it's considerably really worse on DVD, and it's not just the loss of fidelity, it's clearly an older scan. See, that sounds mm -hmm. considerably yeah. better to me. I, I don't want fidelity in these movies. I, I would recommend going out and finding a VHS from your local Goodwill and uh, watching it on a fucking tube TV. Those effects are going to integrate perfectly in this scenario. One, one of the nice <laughs> things on the indicator sets, actually, is some of them, they do include the uh, uh, Super 8 or the 8mm uh, edits, the Reader's Digest versions of movies, where they just, because, you know, for a long time for home video, Super 8 was the home video format that you could get, so you go to your library, you could rent, basically, the coolest parts of a movie on 8mm to watch at home, at your leisure, without sound, I think, or maybe with shitty sound, I'm not sure if the 8 Clash of the Titans. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, so, so like, Sinbad and, and Jason the Argonaut stuff, like, just, basically just, like, two action scenes or three action scenes strung together, none of the other stuff. Uh, no, kind of a fun that? way to watch it, though, and imagine that for a long time that was probably the only way a lot of people could see the movies if they didn't catch it on an original theatrical run. So, mm -hmm. you could just see a bits of it completely out of context. Well, shit, there you go. Well, if you're listening to this podcast right now, do us a favor. There's a link in the description. And if you click that link, that will take you to our Patreon. And why would you want to be a patron of Optimism Vaccine? It's a question you probably ask yourself frequently every morning. It's probably the first thing that pops into your head. The answer is uh, podcasting is expensive and we need money to fund our lavish lifestyles to, you know, get Myros his boneless wings with a side of ketchup. Uh, how is he going to get that if, if, we don't have money. This is the man. We need to feed him. We need to feed Myros. We need to buy him a gun. We need to buy him chicken wings. This has been established. This is, this is set in stone with Optimism Vaccine. Also, we had to pay for things like hosting and, you know, things like that. But 
Uh, yeah, you could donate any amount, and if you just donate a couple bucks, that's great. And what do you get with that? Well, no matter how much you donate, you get access to the Optimism Vaccine special patron feed, and that will give you access to a bunch of old written and podcast content, as well as brand new patron-only podcasts that we do, uh, I don't know, with, with some infrequency and no schedule, but we fucking do them. We do them, and they're good, good stuff. There's a new one that just came out a couple weeks ago. You can listen to it, but you got to give us money. Also, if you donate at any level and you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Very exciting. Um, I found a, a Blu-ray at uh, my aunt's house of Failure to Launch. And so now I have a Failure to Launch Blu-ray. That could launch directly into your mailbox. Uh, or maybe I'll just use it as a as a coaster. I haven't decided yet. Jack, you big failure to launch fan. Have I ever seen failure to launch? Great question. I'll get back to you. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's a couple other. I feel like it's a McConaughey. No, I, I won't do you dirty like that. I actually have a box of things that people who listen to this podcast would actually enjoy, and they're not Matthew McConaughey rom coms. Uh, although, if you become a patron, and when you become a patron, you just send a message where it's all caps and it says "send me failure to launch," I'll probably just send it to you because I don't know. Someone have Craig T. Nelson? Uh, no, that's the Family Stone. That's the one where his his wife's like she she gets uh, breast cancer and like he rubs her like. Okay, so stone, I confuse right? these two movies because then this one must have Terry Bradshaw, right? Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> Failure to Launch stars uh, Terry Bradshaw. I, I didn't I didn't know he was an actor. I thought he just graced I, my. Uh, I don't my believe he's, he's much of an actor, but you know it's what they call stunt <laughs> casting. I can't believe you confused the family stone. I with feel like these movies came Jack, out you believe like that? the exact same fucking time. <laughs> they probably did. They probably did. Anyways, uh, you could also donate at a higher tier. So uh, if you donate at the five dollar tier, in addition to everything I just mentioned, you also get to vote on future episodes. Uh, we have episodes where we'll, we'll give you a bunch of different topics and we'll say, okay, five and above homies vote. And that's what I we do. We'll be running one of those and in September, probably. Uh, once we get through the swords and the sandals here. Yeah. Once, once our swords and our sandals are done, then, then we'll get right back into that, which is great. And then you also get your name right out on the air so you could be famous. So Myros, who are our five and above? Uh, patrons we right have now? David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. God bless each and every one of them. Uh, we also have a higher tier, the highest tier. It's the $25 tier. And if you donate $25, and you can make that a you know, one-time thing and then drop down to five or two or whatever the fuck you want, or you can keep it going at 25 because uh, you have a little bit of money and we don't, and you just feel like being a nice person. Uh, but for $25, you get to dictate an entire episode, whatever you want it to be. We've actually, uh, we just did uh, a couple of $25 requests. So yeah, uh, anything you want. If there's something you think we should have covered, something you, maybe you don't like us and you want to you hurt us emotionally, psychologically, whatever. It's your choice. I don't give a shit. Uh, pick something, $25. We'll do whatever. We don't fucking care. Well, Myros cares a little bit, but I, I really don't care. So uh Jack and I, we've, we've gone, we've gone over the edge already. Myros, he's still dragging his feet on a few things. Some, some about hentai makes Adam Myros uncomfortable. Can you believe that? Yeah. I'm gonna, we can do a can't believe it's not hentai episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, the name's there. Can't believe it's not hentai. When's it going to happen? Very relevant. $25. It, it happens. The trick will yeah. be some of it will be hentai, I predict. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then at the end, maybe at the end, we'll have Myros kind of figure out he'll he can break it down for us and tell us what's hentai and what's not hentai. I bet he'd like I, that. A lot. I couldn't tell you the difference, frankly. I think any any Japanese cartoons <laughs> hentai to me. <laughs> Fucking like Kimbo the White yeah, Tiger, or whatever. <laughs> that makes sense. Astro Boy, hentai. I would go one further. I think all Disney product is also hentai. Everything. Yeah, all Disney's hentai for sure, for sure. Fucking uh, Black Cauldron, definitely sure, anti. Sure, that checks out. Sure. Sounds like some tentacles yeah. being there. The work of yeah, Jim Henson, that's hentai. hentai. Oh, yeah, Jim Hentai, <laughs> I like it. Uh, anyways, <laughs> that's, that's our next episode, Jim Hentai. Uh, yeah, so uh, give us money, if you don't mind. It would be great. It would really help us out. In addition to that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com is where you can send those. Adam Myros constantly smashing refresh on the inbox. He's waiting for you to talk to him. And uh, you can tweet at us or X at us. What are, we're still tweeting. We still tweet on the X. So, uh, yeah, at optimismvaccine. We got a, we got a Blue Sky account now, too. So we're, we're all over the fucking place. Same thing. At optimismvaccine. You can, you can follow us there, too, if you want to. Uh, and I think that about wraps things up. So we'll be back next week with more swords and more sandals and some sorcery and some beefcakes and, uh, and, and troll soup. <laughs>